All right, welcome to the Thinkularity podcast, episode, is this five? Five. Five. I think five. I think we're mostly going to talk about some more Apple stuff today, yeah. um, specifically the education events and WWDC. Um, I know you have lots of um, burning things to say about the end. I'm probably going to say this wrong, apparently, yeah. but crown. crown. Wow. Crown. It <laughs> <laughs> okay. has two syllables, but my mouth just won't do it. So, so crayon. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. And that'll be the last time I try to say it. But <laughs> so we can start with that. Uh, well, can we start with the, the follow-up here? Just Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, one thing I want... We talked about Facebook last week a little bit and um, the Cambridge Analytica whole situation there and i just thought it was interesting that there's a lot of call log information that facebook has access to um but as far as i could tell that was only through android devices um that were using facebook um because they give access to that sort of thing and i just thought it was interesting the approach um that apple tends to take around security and just a time where i think it maybe paid off to where um no ios devices as far as i could tell had a call log recorded in Facebook. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know exactly the security between iPhone versus Android. Uh, well, I mean, but Android, of course, you can install like third party applications uh, and you just, it has a less secure feel to it, but it's also the things that allow Android to do that thing uh, with the Facebook Messenger circle right. on your screen. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of in the same ballpark of. Somehow, Facebook also having had access to call logs and things like that. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you're willing to sacrifice. If you're willing to give all of the the features that a phone has to offer, I guess the operating system, if you let applications have full control over what it can do to your phone, um, that opens up lots of possibilities for applications and stuff like that. But it also introduces areas like this to where there's security breaches or even where... Um, maybe, you know, a developer when, when creating the app, instead of only recording the stuff that they need to record, they record everything because it's easier to say record everything rather than just this one thing. So, Hmm. um, stuff like that, I think happens all the time, even if it's not on purpose. And then maybe that small developer, um, now gets breached in some way and now has all of your information, um, just off of a small sort of shortcut. Maybe somebody might've taken somewhere along the line, um, so, yeah, I just think that's interesting. I don't think it's anything against Android, really. It's kind of why people go to them, because it gives them that sort of access to do whatever they want. But it is something to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have anything else on that? or I don't think on that, no. Yeah. Um, and then, is this? did you put Edison on here, or did I? I wrote this. Okay, because I remember... Um, Mike talking about Edison, um, but you. Yeah, well, this is pretty clean cut. On the last episode, I talk a lot about how I tried Spark. Yeah. And I did try Spark, but I definitely confused it with Edison for basically the entirety of that episode. So so Edison was the thing that I tried and really liked, but it wasn't working with Gmail. Okay. Uh, Spark, I think I tried, and I honestly don't remember right now, but... It didn't make the cut quite. I'm still on Spark. I haven't tried this, and I did look at it just in the App Store. I didn't even download it um, because I've been spending years trying out different email apps. I'm just kind of picking one at this point. But, yeah, what did you like about Edison then, different from Spark or just in general? Edison has a nice, clean look. And on top of that, it has just some cool things that I thought were, like, mildly useful. So it has a section dedicated uh, for package delivery things yeah, and a section for like travel flight stuff. And I was just like, I'm not going to use it that much, but that's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I, I forget who had this feature, but somebody had this feature where it looks at the email address of whoever you've got an email from and it will tell you information about that person. I don't remember if that was Spark or Edison or what, but. You know, I think it... Did it get that from, like, Facebook and Twitter and stuff? Or where was it getting that? I think it was somehow going through LinkedIn. I don't don't know. Sometimes it was not, you know, a whole lot of information. But it was trying, and I appreciated that, and that's kind of useful for me. 
Yeah. Just to like, oh, what is the first name of this person or what is uh, you know, profile picture if they have one. So that's pretty useful. Yeah, it's been a while now, but I used one a little bit ago. I, w- I can't remember what it was called. Maybe it was even airmail, but it did a similar thing to where when somebody sent you an email, you could click on their image and it would have their social links that were associated mm-hmm. with the email address there, um, which I thought was pretty cool. And I think it even did something like automatic section dedicated to when packages are being delivered, when you have flights and things like that, which was cool. But it, it was one of those things that it was cool when I was looking at features, but I didn't end up actually using it all that often. Mm-hmm. Then there's one other that I want to talk about very briefly because I don't know what happened to it. There used to be an app called MailPilot. And that was discussed on some of the earlier episodes of, like, I'm working through the backlog on, I think, Cortex, which is another podcast. Uh, but, like, I I cannot even figure out what happened to it. It seems like it still has a Twitter account here, like, at MailPilot app. Uh, but then, like, it doesn't seem to have a real app that I can find in the store. They... They have some somewhat recent, like, posts on the Twitter. It's not completely abandoned. And so from listening to those podcasts, this is kind of like a task, like, to-do list oriented and task manager type email client. Mm, I've seen that icon before. Yeah. And so it says on here, carbon fiber coming soon. I don't have really a way to tell how, like, recently that was actually posted. Um. So maybe they're just transitioning to having a thing again, but I don't know. I'm kind of confused by the fact that it still somewhat exists, but not completely. Because there's another one called uh, Mailbox. Is it Mailbox, I think? I don't know. All the names are so similar. It's hard yeah. to remember. And it was really like clean looking, and I think maybe Google had something to do with it. Um, but it just flat out disappeared, and I accept that. But MailPilot like seems to continue to exist in a really vague way to me. Yeah. So I found an article from MailPilot. The title is what happened to MailPilot. What did happen to MailPilot? <laughs> says every week I get a handful of emails asking, how can I download MailPilot? Unfortunately you can't, but right now, but fortunately you will be able to soon. So I guess they're doing an update. Is there a date? This was posted in November of 2017. Mm. I wouldn't consider five months from then soon um, because it's still not live apparently, but apparently it's going to be eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, But apparently, yeah, it looks like it was released two years ago and they haven't done a ton with it, according to this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I kind of use my app, like my email kind of like a to-do list in the sense that like it's just in the way that I use snoozes. Like I was mm-hmm. like we talked a little bit about um, do, which is my to do app that I use for everything where everything I, I like everything. They have a date and time that it's due um, so that I, I do it right at that time. Um, similar thing with my email. I'll just snooze it until I feel like I need to deal with it. And sometimes that is batching them together. So if I have like three or four things I need to do an email, I'll snooze them all until tomorrow and then deal with them all when they all come up at the same time. It's not a bad way to go about it. I haven't gotten into the into the rhythm of like using the snooze, but it's certainly like a feature on the rise. Yeah, I use it constantly. It's either I either archive it, I snooze it, or I deal with it right then, um, so that my mailbox is always empty. So a snooze is a big part of that workflow because sometimes I'm just you know walking down the stairs or something and check my email for half a second. I don't want to reply to something right then, but I also don't want it sitting in there and getting for, like backlogged with a million other emails. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's go ahead and get into the education event. I have a few things that I thought were interesting, um, not only for education, but some cool features that I think might trickle into um, the rest of the Apple ecosystem that might be cool. Um, and then we can get into the, the word that I can't say. <laughs> so the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, shared iPad. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. So, so that basically what that was is that it's for classrooms, and they have, say a classroom has 10 iPads. Um, any student can walk up to an iPad and grab it and log in with their name, and then they have all of their apps 
um, all of their documents and homework and all of that associated with it, um, which is really cool for the classroom. I would have loved that as a kid. Um, but I also think it's a, something that everybody I think has been waiting for for iPad is able to log in as different users. And it, it seems like the first step into something like that. So maybe we have an iPad at my house or maybe a few iPads. Either myself or my wife can just pick one up and we have it set up the way that we like it to be set up with all of our stuff logged in and with all of our documents and all that that we're using. Um, so it looks like right now it's only for education, but um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but maybe that'll be something that we'll see in WWDC also. Yeah, so I, I'm just going to overarchingly classify this event as very strange. So it, just to take a step back very quickly, this took place in a high school. It was not live streamed for the first time in a long time. Uh, and then this thing with the iPad. So we're going to see some other things that are like education exclusive features that would definitely benefit other people. Uh, and so it starts off with this iPad that only educational institutions can use to switch out. So I find this strange because this is a long overdue feature, right? Yeah. If, I mean, if you're just from a design perspective, if you've got a device that is clearly, clearly not meant to just be for one person, iPad, right? Like it's probably biggest role is to hang out around the house and be used by at least two people, right? Yeah. So you'd think like, you know, roll that out the door pretty quickly, but it's, you know, what an iPad generation are we on? And that's still not a default feature. And if anything, it seems like it could, you, you know, you if you were going to roll that out somewhere, Maybe it would wait to go to the education system and first it would go to general consumers. Yeah, like after they prove it and like actually beta test it with a lot of you people because yeah. if you're going to use that as a selling feature for schools and it doesn't work, like you want it to work um, if you're going to start targeting that market more heavily. Yeah, and I mean you want it to work for your consumers too, but I just think like schools you're going to have, if it doesn't work, the kid's going to be like, why isn't this working? The teacher's going to be like, I don't like, and you're just going to have chaos. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, but that, well, I, if they, it's less of an issue if it doesn't work for like you or I though, because we're not going to not use an iPad because of that. But if it doesn't work for a school and it does work on like a windows machine and if the first time it doesn't work, they're going to have that bitter taste in their mouth and they're mm -hmm. going to switch over and it's going to be harder to get them back for a second try than it would to just get it right the first time. But doesn't seem like a super complex feature, but it's also like, you know, like you said, we've been, we've had the iPad for 10 years or whatever, and there's, this is, it's just now starting to become a thing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had this later on, but something I think would be really cool is, so we have Face ID in the iPhone. If we had Face ID in the iPad, then I just pick up the device. I don't have to log in as anything. It knows it's me and it logs in under my profile. But if my wife picks it up, it sees it as her and logs in under hers. Yeah, that would that would also be just really cool and so, fairly low barrier to actually make happen. Yeah, going back and watching uh, the event, there's a couple moments. Uh, you, you know, they switch out a bunch of speakers, and some of them aren't as comfortable as others, and it just has these little awkward moments. And I remember when I watched this, one of the awkward moments for me was I was like, they, they said it was under a minute to switch profiles, and I was like. Like that's better than, I guess, like the minute. like Windows XP. So that's when I was in school, like clunky, very cheap, boxy ThinkPads that probably took like 20 minutes to switch profiles. That's pretty bad, um, you know. But by modern standards, and compared to a Chromebook, that one minute to switch—I don't know, maybe it's significantly under a minute—and they were just not emphasizing it. Uh, but that doesn't seem fast to me. No. So I didn't watch the whole event. I just watched um, bits and pieces of it, and I didn't catch that. But, yeah, under a minute, that's not a thing to brag about. I feel like that needs to be you just log in in the same login field, and it logs you into whatever the account is. Well, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what an iPad could do. in a Like, you can restart that thing probably in a minute. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it yeah. has to be comparable yeah. to that. And maybe it does have to restart. Maybe, maybe that's what it does. Or like reboot in some way, even if it's like a soft reboot. Um, the kind of the screenshots that they showed was at least maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong one, but it was just a bunch of circles of all the kids' faces. And you, I would assume you tap one and you log into that one. But maybe there's – I don't know what could be used yeah. up in the rest of that minute. 
But while we're on the topic of kind of having profiles, so this is kind of a new introduction. You know, I'm not, I wish I knew more about how Chromebooks were really used in a classroom. Uh, maybe, you know, I, so like those ThinkPads, it was just a generic profile. Mm -hmm. You just used them for the internet and it, you save things to a flash drive and I'm showing my age here. Uh, I don't know with the Chromebooks if kids are really using their own profiles and like actually changing settings in a way that benefits them when they log in again. Well, Chromebooks essentially just Chrome, right? So I would guess that it works the same way it does in switching profiles in Chrome. Or maybe I guess there has to be like a login sort of thing, though. So I'm pretty sure that you can create multiple profiles on a Chromebook. And I'm pretty sure that there is some kind of administrator tool to make it easy for schools to create multiple profiles on a Chromebook. I'm just wondering, like, have any schools really embraced this or are they all just rocking the guest account? Because it almost works just as well. You know, what are the settings and is it worth creating a, an individual profile for each student? Yeah, I have no idea. I haven't. Have you used a Chromebook much? I haven't. I've never used one. I've used a Chromebook a decent amount. Just uh, I got my mom one because she's not like a very tech savvy person and they're hard to break. And just yeah. as an aside, I am a huge fan of Chromebooks. If I didn't need, so like I'm a tech kind of person and we're recording a podcast right now and it would be difficult on a Chromebook. But if you just need to like browse the internet, if you're that kind of person and I wish I was, oh my gosh, they're so nice and light and cheap and just they do the thing that they're supposed to do. I'm a big fan. That's what the iPad is for me though, for for when I'm browsing. So my iPad has a browser on it. It has Reddit um, and, and and Kindle. So it's in in YouTube. So it's mm -hmm. just like it has like aside from the ones I can't delete, like four apps on it. It's purely for like content mm -hmm. and browsing and stuff like that. Um, That's where it comes down to. You know, would you rather have iPad or a Chromebook? And we're going to get to that discussion here. But the Chromebook is going to cost either a little bit less or significantly less yeah. and have a keyboard. So it's a it's a tough argument. But um, to get back to the uh, topic of uh, like user profiles. So I think the reason that Apple cares about this is that a lot of the features that we're going to discuss a little more, I think, seem to be dependent on having a specific profile. You know, so I, I don't think Apple wants kids to just use Safari on these iPads and then just, and you can't plug in a USB drive. Yeah. Um, so I think it almost needs to have an account associated with it so that then you can use that iCloud storage that it now, you know, you get more storage that was part of the event too. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that kind of leads into what the profiles mean and what they do, which I didn't know that this existed and maybe it didn't, but it's, it sounded like it existed in some form before, but apparently kids now can do like all their assignments, their lessons, and like the teachers can give handouts. Um, and then there's like a, the teacher side of that where we can see how each um, student is performing and progressing. Um, I didn't know that that was a thing, but that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, and I assume, I mean, obviously that's why the profiles are so important because they want all these things to be separate apps. Um, they also announced the ClassKit API so that people can build other educational apps. And then obviously when you log into your profile, you have all of your own logins for all those different apps and you can do your work that way. Um, it sounds really cool. And the screenshots looks really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so I'll just comment really quickly on how I think sort of the workflow of students with iPads is, and I, I just don't see it right now. And this might be me showing my age again, and really the kids know what they're doing, but we're going to get into talking about AR. Personally, like, are you going to learn enough from that that yeah. makes it a valuable education asset? Uh, to me, it sounds like they're missing something, and maybe they're not. Again, I'm not like super into. I'm not like super into what teachers are doing, but um, I know that Microsoft has like this whole ecosystem for teachers to collaborate. This is separate from students, but it's just just an area for teachers to collaborate, um, share lesson plans, share ideas, and it also helps them create lesson plans and integrating technology into the classroom using different Microsoft products. 
I don't mm-hmm. see something like that for Apple, which seems like an important piece when you're trying to integrate something new into their workflow like this. Because when you have teachers all across America deciding things completely differently, they're all doing different things. It's really hard to create something that works well for everybody when everybody's doing something different. So they, yeah. I think they need to be a part of that collaboration and be a part of that this is how the workflow works so that they can more easily be Apple and say this is the right way to do it and we're going to make that you know as best as we can um, rather than everybody doing it differently, I think. I really think that they're in not a great position with the education market. You know, this event to me kind of read as much as I have seen in recent memory an Apple event that's talking about things that I just don't think are going to happen. It just seemed like, you know, this is how they're going to use the VR. This is going to how they're going to use like drawings to enhance their presentations. Come on. I just. Yeah. Well, that's like, I think there are a lot of features. There's the marketable features and then there's the useful features. And these sorts of events are heavy on the marketable features. Mm-hmm. But there were some like the core features of profiles, these the class kit API so that Um, different maybe even education systems or people can build apps that work the way that they want them to work. Um, I think think that there's a place for this, and I think they're doing a good job of creating the tools to make it possible. Um, But like I said, it still sounds too... It it sounds too, like, fragmented or, like, not very well organized in exactly how to get it done. Um, But it's definitely a space I think that they should be in. I think that's what... They did great in like the 90s was getting Apple computers into classrooms for kids to use. I mean, it was the it was the those big um, colorful computers was what I used in in grade school. So I think that there's a place for it. I think they're like in the beginning of that. um, But I also think that they're kind of lagging behind and it's something they should have been doing for a while now. Well, I think so. So if I. Just we're thinking about what are kids going to do with computers in a classroom. Now, I know Apple has put forward a lot of interesting ideas where they use augmented reality and things like that. But immediately it seems like, okay, they're going to want something that they can do research on, which not too bad, not too bad on that bad. Uh, but then they're going to want something they, they can write on. And it just seems like, I know you can pair it with a keyboard and things, but the price goes up. It's already expensive. Yeah, uh, you've got a tough sell compared to the Chromebooks. And I like, you know, some people I think have kind of considered this like the high end, like more expensive, like if your school can afford it, do this. But it, I don't know if it's there yet to be even worth paying the extra money for. Yeah. If I were like running a school, this would be I wouldn't use this probably, I don't think, for. So the whole AR stuff is like very, very early. And the the problem with AR is that. It's a lot. It's, the, the issue is that it's a novelty feature in most cases. A lot of the times, it's easier to have a 3D model that you can manipulate on the screen rather than having to walk around it. So AR apps are very rarely the best use of how to get the information they're trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Um, I would focus more on the automating things like grading tests. Like those are no longer sheets that are handed back in and mm-hmm. hand graded. If um, I think it's the efficiency of just a computer yeah. that it creates um, to do things, like I said, grading lessons, grading tests, um, reading books, um, but handwriting notes and stuff. I don't really even see that really happening. I'm seeing it more of a um, larger picture kind of thing. I think that's like the like by far the best thing that it does for education. And I just I don't think that a lot of kids are going to sit there in class and take notes on their iPad. And if they do, I don't. So what is the extent that you can lock these things down so that the teachers know that they're not screwing around? Right. Yeah. Because like even if they're just in the notes app, they can be screwing around. Yeah. I mean, more so than a piece of paper, I think. Probably shouldn't be like just wide open Safari on these things because then kids are never getting anything done. But if it's locked down to the point where this is the iPad. The only app that works is the one for your, you know, science test. Yeah. Take the science test. I don't know. You know, like maybe if the teacher can see their notes and things. Uh, but I if, know that they can. So they showed okay. some screenshots. Can see the notes if they took notes? Uh, maybe not notes specifically, but they can see like if there are different um, worksheets or maybe lessons. Like maybe, yeah. maybe they're like yeah. whole quarter long lessons and you can see where they are and how they're doing and as like, they go through. My question to that is like, is this real content? 
the teachers are you like if I were a teacher, I guess, because I can't use this stuff not being an education person. Yeah. Uh, but I don't like I'm not convinced that these things are real even for teachers right now. Can they use these features at the moment? It doesn't sound like right now, no. As far as I know, I didn't like I said, I didn't watch the whole thing, so I didn't hear anything about like release dates. Yeah. But looking through their sites, there are lots of pieces that say like coming soon. Like I think the infrastructure is there. I don't know that anyone that is not Apple, you know, like a third party has actually created that content yet. No, yeah, I don't think so. And something else I just thought of, so obviously it allows you to give handouts and quizzes to all of your students, but maybe it being in a form like this allows for more personalized education to the point where you know, halfway through the semester, you can see that one person is struggling in one area, one person is struggling in another. The system can adapt to teach them uh, and focus more heavily on where they're struggling yeah. um, or even challenging people that are doing really well, challenging those kids more so that they're not just flying through class and getting, you know, not so they're not getting A's, but so they're actually being taught things um, at a more personalized level, whereas back when we were in school, it's like everybody gets the same scanned handout. Yeah. Well, I think... Yeah, they're, it definitely seems like they're looking towards the future. I don't know how well they've really planned out the future and how definite it is. But, like, so right now, to recap here, they've got, I think the best thing you can do with an iPad is notes. I don't see 30 kids sitting in a classroom taking notes on 30 iPads. Maybe it'll happen. But, you know, that's the strongest thing, and I think that doesn't really work, and they certainly didn't, I don't think, talk about it very much. iPads are great for consumption, just in general, and so that's... You know, unless you're going to have the kids sit there and watch like a video or something, or maybe there's some kind of interactive thing that goes along with the lesson, but that's not implemented yet. Uh, it, iPad loses its consumption advantage. These are like the two big things that iPad is for, right? Consumption and note taking. Maybe you get some Safari browsing out of it. Uh, but then the third thing for me is that Apple doesn't have really an ecosystem that's comparable, I don't think, to anyone else's. So you've got Google with their uh, you know, Google Sheets, Google Docs, and all things like that. And those work great with the Chromebooks or on anything, including the iPad. Uh, but, you know, Apple doesn't control that, and they can only do so much with it. You've got Microsoft, who has Word. And while I don't love it, it is, you know, I'd just say generally a little bit better than the Keynote and Apple software. Um, I've actually recently switched entirely to yeah. Pages and Keynote. Um, I even use numbers for some things when I want to get more visual. So I have like a budgeting spreadsheet and stuff that I made in numbers because it lets you do some cool things in tables. But um, Excel is still by far the leader. And if you're trying to manipulate any amount of data. Um, mm -hmm. But I actually switched to that. But yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. Um, but I, I still think that the strength is not in the note taking. I think the strength is um, there needs to be some sort of piece of technology that allows um, teachers to give personal and um, introduce these efficiencies of the computer grading things instead of them. Um, and Apple just needs to be involved in that conversation and, and make that as easy as possible. But as possible, but I do think that where they seem to be falling short, and maybe they just haven't announced it yet or whatever, but is in um, helping schools actually do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think their their plan right now is the long con and uh, kind of slowly overtake the Chromebook. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And they at some point they emphasize that it's more powerful than a Chromebook. I don't know. Do, does anybody care? I don't know. Yeah. Like, it doesn't seem like that that matters. Yeah. And again, maybe I don't understand the education market enough. Maybe they are direct competitors there. Um, but in the way that I view them, at least in what they were talking about in the presentation, the sorts of things that they wanted to do, um, it just didn't seem like Chromebook was their competition. Maybe like they're, it's maybe the iPads competition, but maybe not in education. Maybe it is. Well, like they they mentioned Chromebook a couple times on, on stage. And I think Chromebook has pretty decently taken, you know, like who even would be the competition for Chromebook then like ThinkPad because they certainly took ThinkPad. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think Apple, you know, in I'm trying to imagine how this goes down. You know, Apple walks into a school 
and they say, hey, we've got these iPads. And the comp- or the school says, oh, how much are they? And Apple says, it's $300. And then the school says, so how do the kids type on it? And they say, well, you got to buy this extra uh, keyboard thing that attaches to it, like awkwardly kind of. And yeah. it's just not this whole complete system that we designed. And so now you've lost your Apple advantage of the branding because it's got some third-party you know, Logitech keyboard case thing. And then, I don't know. And then they say, oh, at least they can write with it. And then Apple says, no, you got to buy for that. Like, you got to pay for that pencil, too, or the crayon. I did think it was funny that it was like, the iPad is $330. And then, for educators, it's $300, $30 off. It's like, that's not really a discount. (laughs) When you're buying a lot of them, maybe. But But still, when you're buying a lot of them, I don't know. I feel like if you want to infiltrate, like, the education, like, be a big like player in the education space like you gotta i think sell like closer to what it co- i think you've got to cut your margins more than thirty dollars but maybe you know they know what they're doing um but it's just thirty dollar discount doesn't seem like a whole lot yeah um, which maybe it is it's like ten percent but um okay let's talk about this i'm just gonna call it the stylus what happened to did you have more on AR? Oh, no. I really just wanted to talk about AR in the sense that um, I don't think AR is very useful right now in, in any meaningful yeah. way because anything that you build in AR could be done better or not in AR. Yeah. They, they should, their example, they had a couple, I think, but the example that I remember right now is you could see a painting like in a museum. Yeah. But Did you again, see you could see a painting in a museum just completely in 3D. And yeah. I was like, out of it. Even 2D, even just put the scan of the painting in there 2D. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you get some, like, childhood magic type thing, and the kid's just completely enamored by how this painting appears to be in the room. Yeah. I think AR technology is important for 10 years from now when we have, like, heads-up displays. But if you're having to hold a, like, 4-inch phone um, to see what's happening in AR that I just don't see that being a useful thing, but this it's a stepping stone to even be able to get to the point where we all have contact lenses and we have yeah. um, these things over shown and something more close to what HoloLens is doing. Okay. You want to talk about the crayon? Let's do it. So I just have a laundry list. First of all, Apple said almost nothing about this in the presentation. They were like, We've got some accessories. There's this crayon thing. And then they moved on pretty much. I think they maybe said the price. Uh, But looking at it, you know, on Logitech's website, there are a lot of just, again, this weird and kind of interesting things. So first of all, this is another thing that is education only, which is probably really good. I mean, like I that was probably a good call for them. <laughs> so why is this different from how is this different from the pencil? I don't I know nothing about this. My understanding right now is that like I'm certain that Apple worked with them. I'm almost certain, right? Because it has the compatibility. Like I don't think this is you couldn't have made this without Apple's right. collaboration. Well, when they talked about it, like I said, I just watched like bits and pieces and they barely, at least in what I watched, they skimmed over it. And I thought it was just like a, basically a grip for the Apple Pencil. You stick the Apple Pencil inside this thing that makes it fatter <laughs> for kids' hands. That's what I thought it was when yeah, I saw it. It's its own thing. So yeah, half the price of the pencil, education only, which is interesting and like, I mean, I think a lot of people would buy this if it was not education only, which it's weird that it is since it's like a piece of hardware that only schools can buy. But it would just cannibalize the the actual Apple Pencil a lot, I think. Uh, The next thing that I find interesting about this little uh, product is that Logitech has not even branded it with its own branding of Logitech. It just says Logi, which... We talked about a little before the show. I don't know if that is their education or kid branding or what, but it's just interesting to see them like chop their own uh, branding off. Yeah, I haven't seen that anywhere else. But so that's kind of interesting for it to be, and it's even like it is technically called the Logitech crayon, but then just says Logi on the thing itself, which I find kind of kind of odd. Uh, and then going down the list further here. So do you know if the Apple Pencil has replaceable tips or something like that? 
I don't think that it does because from what I remember, the casing goes all the way down to what that little rubber tip is, whereas this has – it's a separate piece. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So no, I don't think that it does. Because they say tip provides 1.24 miles of riding distance, which to that's me – meaningless. Well, it, does, it doesn't seem like a lot to me personally. Um Oh, so it's like a wear out sort of situation. I thought it was because they were expecting kids to be chewing on it. Oh no, I think it's like it wears out and then you have to replace it. Whereas the Apple Pencil, either they just don't talk about it because they expect the tip to last the length of how long you'll have it, or they'll replace it if it it gets messed up or something. Or the Apple Pencil uses like a better material. I don't know. So again, that's interesting. I'm not sure what the Apple Pencil does, but I, I just find that it's so it's it's a strange product. And then you get like the replacement for it uh, on this product here, the Logitech Crayon. They've replaced pressure sensitivity, so that's gone. But they still have the tilt sensitivity, like right. So there's an accelerometer in there, and instead of using that for like. On the Apple Pencil, you can actually get, like, a the effect of a tilted brush or whatever by tilting it. Gotcha. They have replaced that with thickness for the crayon. So I wonder if that was a technical reason or if because they don't want kids stabbing iPads really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was a technical reason. I think that the pressure sensing... Too expensive I mean, for I, education scale, maybe. I don't know. You would think, right, because doesn't this iPad have... Or, I don't know, does it have, uh, like, the 3D touch ability? Oh, I'm, I'm kind of messed up on the lineup right now. Yeah. They did, they have, they had iPad, um, iPad Pro. It might not And have then it. they have, like, the regular iPad, then got the Apple Pencil support. Mm. I don't, I don't know if they're still making them without, I have no idea, really. Regardless, I'm pretty sure that the Apple Pencil doesn't rely on that for pressure sensitivity. Like, it has its own mechanism within the Pencil. Uh, they might have just also done it for like battery reasons. I don't know. But it's really interesting to see that. And you kind of get the same effect because when you tilted the Apple Pencil, you got a thicker line anyway. I thought it was more you know? of a shade. And then. Yeah, it was like a shade, but it it's kind of like thicker yeah. as a result because more like lead right. is exposed or whatever. Uh, so that's that's interesting to see that change. And it, we're like halfway through here. So it has a stay put design. Where, you know, the Apple Pencil being a cylinder has kind of the ability to roll, but doesn't because mm -hmm. it's weighted. Uh, but this one is designed to just stay put where you put it down. And that's a pretty straightforward kid feature, which I, I generally. Yeah, which really just means that there's a flat side. Yeah, th that's fine. This is a good a good uh, design feature there. Uh, the other additional Interesting thing is that it has, rather than the, well, this one's good because, so it has a female charging port for the, for the yeah. crayon. I always thought it was weird. I guess they did that because they wanted to be able to stick it into the bottom of the iPad, which is also dangerous, but I prefer this, I think. I, it looks better and more natural, except you have to have a cord. I think this is exclusively done because the kits would just break the. Yeah. You stick the, it into the, the bottom, it would immediately snap off yeah, the so. charger. Wise choice there, Logitech. Uh, we've got an on-off button, which I, the, the Apple Pencil, man, I, I should know more about the Apple Pencil. It's no. just on when you hold it, right? Oh, I have no idea. But I do think it's, so I don't, does anybody else use, uh, never mind, I guess they do. I, I was thinking, like, do any third-party products use lightning cable as a charger? But now that I think about it, there are some that support it. But that also seems like kind of a rare thing. I almost said that too, but yeah. It uses Apple's charger, and I think I think Apple worked with them yeah. decently on this. Uh, but yeah, it has an on-off button, which I don't. Is that because you know you'd think that the Apple Pencil, you know, knows when it's not being used. And yeah. It smart I'm manages. I'm pretty sure that it doesn't because I've played with it in the Apple Store before, and there's no buttons. There's no there's nothing on it moves in any way aside from. Hmm. where you charge it, but even that's just like the cap or whatever. Well, that's kind of an interesting choice, and I, I think that one just is going to boil down to battery life, you know, because they had to add a button and all for this, which is just kind of annoying, right? But um, yeah. 
I don't know. I think that one probably just came down to having more battery life. And then, well, so then with the button, though, you also get the battery indicator. So this, rather the Apple Pencil not having any battery indicator, this one does. And you get like a little blinky LED to just differentiate the whether you're like under 10% or somewhere in the middle or like almost fully charged. So do they talk about, um, so what makes the Apple Pencil great is its latency on screen. Um, it's not when you, if you draw a quick line, mm-hmm. the line's not half a second behind where your hand is. Did it do any comparisons to that or say it's just as fast or just as responsive as Apple Pencil or did they not touch on that at all? I don't think they said it. I know I'm looking at the page here and I think somewhere it said very uh, low latency. So I don't think it's like a big issue. I think it might. It might actually be like exactly the same. Okay, it I might be Apple, they're doing some special stuff that allows them to have such low latency that other third party people can't do, but maybe they can maybe for this part. Mm-hmm. The other thing here is that the uh, the cover for the top of the pencil is or of the crayon is attached, so you can't like lose it. That's a kid feature. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the last thing that is interesting to me though is that this thing says compatible devices iPad 6th generation 2018 release. And the iPad Pro is not listed as a compatible device. So it's only compatible with the one that came out the day that this was announced? Yeah. I, I'm, unless Under... unless they just didn't write it here, but it, it feels like it might not be. Hmm. I wonder what they would have changed to make it like a trying to get hints of this and then what they're going to talk about when they release next generation yeah. phones and iPads. Um, but I'm not seeing anything with this pencil that would lead to like not supporting anything from last year. I think it, it might just be, so it obviously has to support the Apple pencil because if the schools want the fancier thing, and, you know, it's older technology, so you build that support in pretty easily. But it might be that the, when they created the crayon, somehow it would have just taken a lot of effort to make that work on an iPad Pro. And they don't expect schools to be using the iPad Pro all that much anyway. Yeah. So I th- there might have just been a okay, technical thing. so this thing. is for the entry-level iPad, though. That's yeah. What it yeah. Is. And they're okay. like, you can't get this crayon without being a school. Right. Gotcha. So and that's actually another question there is like, so what about like a college student? I don't think so. It seems like you have to have a partnership with like a like a school, like you have to be representing a school or whatever. Yeah. You're not just enrolled. Huh? If I know on eBay, <laughs> they'll get out there. That's like, they might end up being like a really rare and uh, sought after piece of technology. It'll be one of those things in five years. We're like, remember when Apple did this? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like a Logitech product, yeah, though, okay. so you can't even really hold it up as this like weird Apple product from the past yeah. later on. That is kind of another weird thing is with these partnerships that they're doing, like they did with LG and the uh, displays, and now they're doing this with Logitech. They seem to be a lot more third-party friendly, at least with some hardware pieces that they don't feel like making recently. Yeah, I don't think I would be very comfortable if this said Apple on it. It honestly might have been like Apple pretty much designed it, but they were like, we don't want yeah. this in our lineup. Uh, yeah. Just no, who wants to point. make this for us? That We don't want like something covered in rubber and fur kits in our like sleek modern website. Yeah. So that might be a, a bit of it, but I would be really interested to know how Logitech and Apple worked on this product together. Yeah. And then, you know, down at the bottom of the web page, they also have this, like, really boxy-looking, uh, what is this called? Rugged Combo 2 case. Oh, yeah, I saw them. They, I saw when they mentioned that. It looks like there's a, uh, a mount for the, I'm just going to call it the pencil. Yeah, it has a, it has a spot to put the pencil. Okay, so let's ask... If you were a school administrator right now, okay, well, what would you be doing? Um, well, I am very biased towards technology, so I would have something in the classroom. Um, I don't think I know entirely enough about exactly what the iPad's doing differently that I would get it, because um, in this case, I'm a school administrator that also has to think about what we can afford to buy for 100 students or whatever. 
you know, if Chrome, if I can get Chromebooks for like a hundred dollars a piece, as opposed to this for three hundred dollars a piece, without knowing anything else, that's pretty, pretty interesting. That you know, I can either get everybody can have their own Chromebook, or we can share iPads, or I can just save money. I don't know. It just seems like a much larger barrier to entry. Um, so without knowing anything else, I'd probably go Chromebook just be, just for that, just understanding a tiny bit about school budgets. Um, but, you know, there's also maybe some efficiencies made in this here in a couple of years once people get a hold of the ClassKit API um, that can really automate lots of things and, and make the teacher's jobs easier, then maybe it's worth it. Um, if... If the iPads are, you know, create like a 15% efficiency in the teacher's time, whereas the Chromebooks are 5%, you know, then it is worth it over a year because um, they'll end up paying for themselves because teachers won't be staying later. We want to be paying more overtime. We want to be paying teaching assistants and things like that. So um, I guess that's a very long-winded answer, but I think it depends. Probably in a few years I would go iPad, but right now with how cheap Chromebooks are, probably Chromebook. Yeah, it's just, so I heard some people talking about uh, why don't they make this just like a press release instead of an event. Yeah. Thank God they had an event. Like, I'm still confused yeah. a lot. And uh, if this was just in a press release, I don't think. This was kind of out of left field. I wasn't expecting this. I just saw this on Reddit yeah, and started looking into it. It's a rarer event. Do you think that, like, were any teachers watching this even? I don't know. I'm also curious how heavily teachers were involved in the design of it. I'm sure they worked with teachers. I mean, this is Apple. They're not just making up things on themselves. I'm sure they did lots of focus group testing and iterations of stuff like this. But I'd be really interested to see what the motivation behind this was, the motivation behind some of the features, and then having an event for it. Yeah. They do have a lot of teachers on the stage okay. one at various times. Uh, so, you know, it, it's like deployed in whatever way that Apple goes about. I don't know if they ask people or there's like an enrollment program. Yeah. I still think, like, I know $30 off is kind of a lot when you're talking in bulk, but it still is only like 10%. And I feel like if you're like, want to do well, if you want schools to take this over, I just feel like you've got to have better bulk discounts than something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I almost got excited about this event because I was like, oh, uh, you know, this might end up, I would really like an iPad that has the, the pencil support. Uh, but it, you know, like, I could get this iPad, I could get this entry-level iPad and a pencil, but it's still up at like 400 plus dollars at the moment. And I was just like, eh, you know, it's another device I got to take care of, so. So this is very clearly focused on like grade schools. So what are you seeing for maybe going to high schools and colleges in some other capacity, maybe making some of the features that teachers use to um, watch progress and personalization and all of that and things like lesson plans and tests, but instead make the maps signed in through um, university or whatever logins on your own iPad or your own MacBook. And this is like kind of a rumor for WWDC, but it's a universal app, so you can run mobile apps on your iPad, on your Mac. Um, in, a, in a world where that's the case, and now college students can have either an iPad or a Mac, um, the amount of work that needs to be done to get it working on both is um, greatly decreased now. I don't know. Do you see that taking over things like high school and college? Well, I'm trying to understand why they want to. That is, that's a good point with. Yeah, I've mostly been framing this as high school students because this event took place in a high school. And uh, it's just kind of when I used computers, and I don't think I used computers at all, not in high school. Uh, well, I mean, except for like in a lab or whatever, like computer lab. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, like, what is the motivation to take apps to the Mac, right? Doesn't that seem like sort of a step in the wrong direction if they think that iPad is sort of the future? Well, I guess my point there was that instead of making these devices, devices that the school owns, it can now be a device that a student owns and they can choose. 
and without having to develop two completely separate apps if you build it for one. Mm. Because instead of people having their, like, instead of demanding all students buy an iPad, yeah. what's the scenario that makes this easy so that they can run on anything that they own without the university having to buy everybody iPads or require an iPad? Mm. Because it's a lot easier for a classroom to buy things and let students use them than it is for okay. a whole university yeah. to require everybody to buy something. Yeah. Now I just required to have a Mac or iPad. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I, I would love to see more of this kind of stuff. And like, I would have liked to see this a lot more in college. Obviously, obviously like I graduated in 2014. So there were, obviously, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ancient. There were computers around and a bulk of my work was done on computers and websites, but they were also very easy to, like, people were always cheating because we were using websites that were fairly created by these companies that don't really know what they're doing. Um, is seeing a whole ecosystem of education just built really well has never really been done before. Um, it's kind of just a bunch of things loosely working together. Yeah, almost to the point that I couldn't, like I could almost imagine someone that's not any of these giant companies coming in and taking the education market. Yeah. That's how that's how bad it somehow has been a little bit neglected. Like if ThinkPad got their game together, they could almost compete just with devices that were like made sense for the classroom and were affordable because they would just be very specialized. You know, this iPad is not, it's not designed for a classroom. It has accessories that are designed for a classroom and it has the one little modification that makes the pencil work with it, but it's the design of the previous iPads that were meant to be luxury products or whatever being kind of shoehorned in a classroom. Yeah. I mean, I, this is a real software problem, and I think this would be, I think this is like an area that, like a big opportunity for like Microsoft to really own and create an ecosystem for, because I much, I much more easily, or I guess Google also, but I much more easily see them create applications that work on both Windows and Mac and Android and iOS than Apple doing that, that mm-hmm. also works on Android and Windows. Yeah, I think they could do well. That's that's interesting that Surface isn't even in this conversation, the Microsoft Surface, right? Because isn't yeah. that a really good potential application here? But, you know, I don't think, I mean, they made the MacBook, no, what what is it called? The, um, the just Surface book, I think? I think so. No, I have to think about it a lot because Surface, you talk, oh, that didn't even work. <laughs> what the were you talking about the one with like the really cool metal hinge not or... the cool metal hinge just the the ones that were like almost targeted at students but i think it was more like college students okay it was it was meant to be a competitor for macbook just the regular 2015 macbook i think um just the the surface laptop is what it was called yeah that's what it was gotcha. surface laptop But those are also very expensive, you know. They're at the price of the of the MacBook, so yeah, it's not really competing. All right, I think that's all we have on the Apple events. As of recording this, we just now have our first episode live. So if you're listening to this and you've liked the episode so far, it'd be great if you could review us on iTunes. That's very helpful. Um, we also have other things, but nobody's there yet, so we just won't even plug those. But if you could review us on iTunes, that'd be great. All right. All right. All right let's wrap it. Let's wrap it right there.